of the desert My mother died giving me life Deprived of the love of a father Blamed for the loss of his wife You know, Lord, I've been in a prison For something that I've never done been one hill after another And I've climbed them all one by one She took my pride and my joy She took my reason for living She took my small baby boy Welcome to the show. Welcome. Well, that was Elvis Presley. Lord, this time you gave me a mountain. I think that <laughs> speaks to all of us, doesn't it? There, is, there isn't anybody that could say they haven't come up against a few mountains when it comes to walking the Christian life. It's an amazing trek, but I'm so glad that I'm on it. I really am. I don't know, in a way, uh, being retired, this, this, you know, it's become more than just a casual occurrence from time to time, but now it's become more evident that, you know, we're living in the days that the Bible spoke of, the prophets spoke of, and, you know, we really, really have to remember that to know that is a tremendous, tremendous blessing from the Lord God, because there's a lot of Christians out there today, I think you would get the, get the, 
get the the gist of my shows prior to this, but there are so many. I hate to say that I sometimes think there's more wrong thinking or wrong believing Christians than there are, you know, a true conservative Christian or a, you know, more Bible centered Christian and so forth, you know, and there's the danger or there's the problem with the pastors and the preachers and so forth that are teaching these people. You know, when Jesus was going to heaven, he, when, you know, he asked Peter those three times, well, he asked them what I think twice, right? Do you love me? And, you know, remember, this is the first conversation they're having for the most part since Peter denied him on the night of his trial. So, and he asks him, asks him twice, do you love me? And, you know, so Peter's getting the message here that I'm forgiven and all I got to do is just love the guy like I always have anyways. So, you know, and then he says, feed my flock or feed the flock. So we understand by reading the scriptures and so forth that Peter was a uh, probably <laughs> impulsive you know, and um, he was uh, a leader. You know, he take the skills that he gained probably from, you know, owning a business. He was a fisherman. He owned a fishing business. So, you know, there's more than one boat and there's crews and all the equipment, so forth and so on of owning a business. And, of course, your personnel, you know, your workers. And I think that gave Peter, you know, a, a, an understanding of, how to be able to do that for Christ. And that's why Christ asked him to do it. Quite an honor after he just denied him, right? <laughs> so anyways, the show started out as one thing and now it became another thing because events are happening, I kid you not, at a very, very rapid pace. Uh, it's not so much in what you can see but in agreements and treaties and so forth and conversations that people are having, you know, the two countries and diplomatic ties are all of a sudden being established and political, you know, dialogue. And the next thing to come will be, you know, free trade. So everything's coming together. Nations that are supposed to be allies in the end time are already for some and others have just recently China brokered a deal between um, Saudi Arabia and Iran um, bringing them together of course Donald Trump did the uh, Abrams Accords now when I first read the you, you just read the uh, I forget what they call it a synopsis maybe whatever anyways of, of the accord and it sounded great it really did because, not because of the free trade, but more for my way of thinking, it was more for the uh, open borders. You see, some of Lot's descendants went to the area we now call Saudi Arabia and Jordan. All right? And then, of course, you have, you know, Israel itself. So the point I'm making is this. And you had the tribe of Dan, which went north at some point in time or was established in the north. That was what their allotment was after they wandered in the wilderness. Each tribe got a, 
a particular piece of land that had whatever particular things that were, you know, going to be fruitful to their existence. So anyways, Dan, the story goes, disappeared in the north. The whole tribe just kind of went off the radar at some point in time. But So you have these situations where they are spread out. It's called the dysphoria, you know. And God says once before in Scripture, all right, well, a couple times. So the Exodus, he brought them from a far land to the promised land that he gave to Abraham. So, you know, they migrate to Israel. But I'll be, be honest with you, not all of them go. Case in point, when they were um, rescued from Babylon, our King Cyrus came to the throne in Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, and he, um, I believe it was Nahum, was his cupbearer. And he went into him one day after he had received some news from Jerusalem, and he went into the king to serve him, and the king asked, you know, why are you so sad-looking and downtrodden, look, you know, and downcast? And Nahum told him, you know, that I have received this information. You know, the city I came from or the city that we love because we're Jews and that's where the temple was, you know, it, it's just total destruction. It, nobody's doing any work. Nothing's getting done. And so anyways, he, he expressing the desire that he could do something if it was possible. And lo and behold, King Cyrus said, you go right ahead. And he took... King Cyrus did, drink of water, sorry. He took, um, he took and, and uh, commanded or decreed all sorts of uh, diplomatic paperwork and passes and so forth, some of them written directly to an individual, anyways, to allow their passage, don't hamper them in any way, yada, 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 like, you know, they were definitely quote-unquote, protected. Anyways, um, and then with the building or, the, you know, the city walls and all that sort of thing, because when Babylon went in there, they tore it all. I mean, there was nothing left, especially of Jerusalem, including the temple, all right? Now, God called them back then, too. In a spiritual way, when Jesus came, you know, to redeem them would really be gaining them physically, or at least spiritually, you know. And so Jesus came to unify the country under God again, so to speak. That's the way they thought about it. And um, he didn't do it. So they dropped them. They're like, poo on you. They actually changed their alphabet. And I think it was four different instances, four different letters or characters, because of the numeral, not just the symbol, but like the spiritual meaning of the symbol, so to speak, I guess you could say. And um, the numberage, because their letters correspond to numbers. So they changed their alphabet about, well, it was after, if I remember right, the destruction of the temple by Rome. But accordingly, they went through their teachings that they had been up to that time, you know, teaching. I don't think it included the Torah or the prophets. I think it was like the Talmud part, things like that. And they, they, they like rewrote 
history, and in doing so, in the, through their scripture or, or through their teachings, so and their teachings are so they're kind of like commentaries, you know. And certain people, Charles Spurgeon, holy cow, uh, Tozer, hoo-hoo, you know, awesome, awesome men of God. I I I would endorse them, no no problem. So that's uh, Charles Spurgeon. I got a couple of his morning and evening prayer books and stuff like that. And then I got another book where he, like, wrote an expose, you know. Anyway, um, and Tozer. Tozer comes from, well, <laughs> so um, Matthew Henry's commentary, or not Matthew Henry. Now I forget the guy's name. Anyway, <laughs> back to the story. So God brought him in from Babylon. Then he was going to bring him in with Jesus. Some came, not all. Kind of the same way it worked with Egypt and coming back from Babylon. When they came back from Babylon, they were a completely different people. A great spiritual movement and awakening in good ways and bad occurred while they were in Babylon. Okay? So they brought that with them. So in essence, what they were doing was they were, you know, committing or soon to be committing the very idolatry that God sent them to Babylon for for 70 years, you know, and they totally wiped out Jerusalem. So Nehemiah goes back. He builds the temple, okay? When Jesus comes, he makes a comment to the apostles because they were in the temple and there was an occasion that occurred, and on their way out or even looking around them where they were, um, they marveled at the temple structure. And the temple then was what they called Herod's temple because um, there was the temple and then on the ground surrounding it in quite a large area, he built, it took, oh, geez, I forget how many, like tens of tens years. It took him a while. And so anyways, um, there were all these um, different chambers and things and different porches or protocols, you know, all this stuff, gates and so forth and so on. And they all get, you know, special meaning and significance. So there's all of that that they're looking at, right? And you got, hey, let's face it, you know, that it was a marvelous structure. You know, archaeologists and historians that look at what Solomon's temple was the best, but the second temple, including Herod's work, so it really edified the temple made it seem more important than not, or whatever, just another building. So they marveled at it. And Jesus says, you see this here? So what he was referring to was the entire, you, you know, like to paraphrase, you see all this? You see it? You see the temple? You see the porches and all? I tell you now, not one stone shall lay upon another. That was a pretty bold statement. I mean, it's talking to resurrection like that wasn't bold enough, right? No, so he goes, you know, yeah, I'm going to rebuild this temple in three days. And they didn't know he meant his body, okay, because with the Holy Spirit in us, we're the temple of God. And they're like, well, are you serious? It took like 40-something years to build this place. See, they were blinded. So anyways, he says that to the disciples, that not one stone will lay upon another. So in about 70 AD, due to their rebellious nature and so forth, the Jews are like that, like 
It's a genetic thing. <laughs> it's a genetic thing. I'm not laughing at that. I thought about that car dealer I have. And in New York, you have Jews. And then you have New York City Jews. They speak a certain way. You know, all those people, all those people down there, all of them people down there, you see. Anyways, they have a really distinct accent from, say, the rest of the state. You know, people say I have an accent. I don't, I don't hear it, but, you know, they say. So, anyways, like when I go to a restaurant, I know for sure when I say the word coffee, they're going to snag me on it. But right away, they think I'm from New York City, and I'm not. Wouldn't live there. I mean, you would have to have me in a palatial palace and pay the bills. That would be the only way. Anyway, um, on the very tippy-top floor, like the entire floor is mine. Not asking for too much, am I? So anyways, he tells them that. And in 70 AD, the Romans come in there. And man, I'll tell you, they wiped that place out thoroughly and scattered the people in every doggone direction possible. And um, the prophecy that Jesus spoke to them when he said, not one stone will be laid upon another. And that was an amazing feat because they weren't just like, you know, stones. They were massive cuts of stone, huge, like the size of a car. I mean, you know, it was no small thing. And they had gone. Archaeologists still aren't 100%. Oh, it's the Temple Mount. Yeah, I, I got another argument for that one, and I think mine wins hands down. Either way. So now they're scattered. God, God, after the Second World War, willed it that in 1948, Israel, by our vote, we were the last vote. Harry Truman was president. He had a very dear friend of his was a Jew, and they'd known each other for decades, probably since school. And anyhow, when Harry asked him about, and, and so, of course, this friend of his is like an advisor, too. So anyway, so Harry, um, Harry Truman, President Truman, approaches him about this subject of, of this temple thing. And a lot of what his friend told him, I don't remember the man's name, and I'm sorry I don't. A lot of what he was told, the president was told by his friend, really resonated with Harry. And so without any uh, regrets, he voted yes. And in 1948, for the only time in world history, a people, a nation that ceased to exist. When the Romans destroyed it, it got the name Palestine. It was kind of like a dig or a, like because of the Philistine issue there. That's something else we'd have to talk about. I'm not doing it now. But so they named it Palestine. So for the first time in world history, a people come back, and in one day, one day that vote took place, they became a nation. And God says in Scripture, are you going to believe it, that in one day, in one day, a nation, in one day, you know, a king, in one day, the reestablishment, you, you can't believe it. But it's going to happen. So it did. Since that time, periodically, there's more. Otherwise, it's just a steady trickle is the um, 
um, reclaiming of the land of Israel by the Jewish people. They're coming back. So this deal that happened with this Abrams Accords now allows the free trade and the dialogue politically and so forth, but it also allows those Jews because God said they're going to be in the land. This is why I'm saying that. Not close to it, not nearby it, not connected by the internet. Physically, in the land. When he steps in and defends them against their enemies. And I'll tell you right now, it's going to kick in some serious daggone booty. You, you should read the book of, of uh, I said Revelation. Yeah, try that one. Anyways, uh, Ezekiel 38, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40. That lays it out for you. The dry bone scenario is considered by most every Christian, whether they believe right or not, as the re reawakening or the re or the uh, the coming of the Jewish people again. That happened right after the Holocaust. I'm sorry, I got emotional when I brought that to my mind. That happened right after the Holocaust. And just like before the Holocaust transpired when boatloads of Jews would go to other countries to try to get safe passage out, they were denied. So again, <laughs> Britain, who had territory there to begin with, and now they're the victors along with the rest of the Allied nations, they occupy Palestine. So they keep the peace and pretty much give the Arabs, I think, a little more than they gave Jews, if they gave Jews at all. But anyways, so the politics start to begin, and here comes a boatload of Jews. If you watch the movie Exodus with uh, Paul Newman, wonderful movie, little long, um, and I always used to see it in bits and pieces. When I finally saw the whole thing together, holy cow, and it's a true story. So... We have the Jews in Israel now, but there's going to be a bigger coming. It's going to be huge because of now these borders are open. And number two, my very dear friend and I came to me one day, what would be, you know, because these are the questions you ask when you read prophecy. And the Lord's either going to tell you the answer or he's going to tell you not for you to know or not now. So either way, ask the question, what would be the motivating factor? And I mean, it would have to be off the charts. What would be the motivating factor that would bring them back in droves? And both him and I, <laughs> the temple. I honestly believe because of the way that thought came to me and I was just walking someplace in the house, I think, or whatever I was doing, and this thought came to me, you know, like the Spirit asked me and then the Spirit answered, you know, what would be or what could be? Because it has to be something significant, and it's not going to be another war. They're at war now, right? I mean, I don't think a week goes by. Hezbollah or the other ones are throwing rockets and they get into a little tip. 
You know, Israel pounds the living tar out of their headquarters and kills their current leader. We've done that with Al-Qaeda, I think, since we got involved with that. Well, we killed the leader of Al-Qaeda. It's like a freaking shark's teeth. They just keep popping up. You can't get rid. They're not going to go away. And it's not so much them as it is their ideology, their doctrine tells them this is what you do. You know, it would be interesting if a lot of wrong-believing Christians had the faith as well as the believing Christians of these Muslims. You know, they're willing to die quick. No, no problem. The, the caveat to that is not only supposedly you're going to get 70 virgins when you get to heaven, but, you know, I'd be a little concerned where it doesn't say they're women. <laughs> Bet you didn't know about about that about that about Muhammad, huh? There's a reason for that. Anyway, where were we? There's going to be a drove. There's going to be a man. I'll tell you, they're coming. And I see it every day. I follow those, you know, Jewish Israeli papers, whatever. And man, I'll tell you, it's happening. So. <laughs> I say all that, <laughs> and I haven't even started the show. But here's the thing. Like I started to say in the beginning, everything is moving ricky-tick, ticky-tabby, boom, boom, boom. All right? Not just day by day, but it's getting down to like every minute by minute. Something, something triggers. Something happens. So bear that in mind as we get into this show today. And what am I calling it? I did name it. They're not shoving. They're pushing. Are you going to take it? They're not shoving. They're not escorting. They're pushing. There's no options here. They're, they don't give options. Oh, nay, nay. They got that all bottled up before they present it to you. So when they present this lawless legislation under illegal <laughs> terms, I mean the whole process, body count included, what are you going to do? You got to do something. Always remember, there's three. There's always praying. Doesn't take anything to bow your head right there where you are and pray to the Lord. Or don't bow your head, but sincerely talk with them. Praying. Or, I guess you'd say you could do something like me. Right? Or, best of all, you get off your duff and go out there and make some noise. That's the problem with these people in this country. Nobody wants to make any friggin' noise except for those that are, well, shut up. That's a pretty sad state of affairs. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> I just saw a meme, and it said today's statues, yesterday's statues. And the yesterday statue had a Minuteman. If you don't know your history, which I'm assuming based on what education is taught in the schools today, I bet you have no clue what I'm going to talk about. But the Revolutionary War was a war we fought against Britain, a great nation, 
huge, huge, huge Navy, biggest in the world for centuries. Anyways, we kick butt and chuck them out and make our own country. God bless America. God bless America. You see, they had something. They had a gumption. They had a desire. They had a reason. They had a cause. And they stood up and they did something or they wrote something or they prayed. But either way, they were involved. I don't see that in our people today. I don't. I see some radical fringes and a little bit of something here and there, but where's the where's the action, man? Where's the, you know, you got a reason, you got a cause. What more could you want? Oh, and wait, hang on. Oh, that's right. You got the Lord on your side. Equala. Man, come on. Get on, Dekotraton. I don't know if I said that right. <laughs> my Spanish stinks like my Italian. But my boss, when I lived here many years ago, I worked in I worked sheetrocking, me and this guy, this Cherokee Apache Indian. His name was Sam. I can't remember <laughs> relatives' names, but I'll never forget Sam. Sam taught me, oh man, it was probably one of the or not a lesson. I learned I learned a lesson like in that somebody's teaching you something lesson. So Sam and I, when we started, I'm going to tell you this story because it's really interesting, um, especially in today's climate. When I first started working for Sam, I got the job through a mutual friend. And I think the the trigger was we were both Marines. Now, Sam served during Vietnam and he had left service just prior to my going in. So he, he had, you know, a sheet rock. He was a sheet rocker, and he caught on to these uh, units that were going up. They were always apartment units or condos, never a, a private home. And we went, um, you know, he got a deal with the contractor to get paid so much, uh, either a foot or an hour, and, you know, he took on the job. So he needed help, and he hired me. It became apparent real soon, real soon, like probably almost on the first day, I think there's going to be a communication problem here. I like to associate with people, you know, on a one-to-one -one basis, and especially he's my boss. So apparently Sam was a reverse racist. He hated me. He wouldn't talk to me or anything except for to do with the job. This is how you do it. Or to say, get on the cochaton, which I guess if I said it right, it's supposed to mean get up your duff and get moving or move up, you know, get, get kicking. Anyway, so I, I realized, I says, so I'm like, wow. <laughs> now I know what the coloreds feel like, you know? Probably not as bad. I mean, he's not throwing rocks or hoses at me or anything. But anyway, fire hoses, I mean, turned on full blast. Anyway, so full truth, no lie, for all my life, as far back as I can remember, probably like not long after I saw my first Western or learned about cowboys and Indians, 
I um I came to the belief and understanding that one of the greatest sins that this country's committed, other than what it's doing now, was the treatment the Indians got. I'm appalled by that. I mean appalled, right, at that age. And I never change that in my heart or my mind. So I chose a moment, you know, because talking to them was, you know, you know how, like, you don't talk to somebody because they're in a bad mood and you don't want to get your head chopped off? That was the way it was, you know, a lot. Other than that, it was a great, I mean, you know, he wasn't a, a jerk to me, but I just sensed that the communication wasn't there in any way other than the job because I was a white man. It's, maybe it's hard for you to understand, but that's what I got. And I knew I was right because when I got the right moment, I told him how I felt, all right, about how the tr Indians were treated. The And... At that moment, he was contemplating. The rest of the day, he was like kind of in his own world. And, you know, today I look at it and I go, well, he was probably chewing on what I had to say, you know. So the next day, the attitude was totally different. We go out after work and, you know, go have dinner or, or go get a couple beers or whatever, right? I didn't know that the Cherokee at the time, I didn't know the Cherokee Apaches were the most extremely violent of all the probably Indians in this country, but at least those that count for what went on here, um, the Cherokawas are just ruthless. So um, one day, he knew I liked history. One day after work, where well, we actually left work early, and he takes me to a place, I don't know my way around or anything, I'm the kind of guy, a lot of times it takes me forever to learn what, what's over there on that street. Anyway, <laughs> so he takes me to this place, and he's very nervous. As we get nearer to this place, I didn't know where we were going to. He seemed to get nervous. He was, like, nervous and jittery about something. So you don't ask him what's going on. <laughs> it don't happen. And the other thing, too, I learned about Indians, they're not big talkers to start with. I've said it on my last show, I think, or so, we got this guy at church, he's an Indian, and when he prays, I don't hear a thing. But, you know, unless he's, like, standing right next to me. Anyway, so he's taking me to this house, and he's he's freaking out. He's going, stay in the car. Don't get out of the car. I says, well, depending on how long you're in there, I might want to get out and stretch my legs. All right, you can get out. Just stay right by the car. Don't leave around the car. So then as he comes from the driver's door to cross over the front of the car, you know what, just come to the steps. Don't go any farther. And the whole time, I have no idea what's going on. None. Zip, zero. So finally he just tells me, you know, eventually, this happens pretty quick, you know, just just come on in. She knows you're here. And as I look to the back of the house, because I could see through the screen door, look to the back of the house, I see an old lady every so often in front of the kitchen door, then she goes back the other way. And she's in there making all kinds of noise. All kinds of noise. <laughs> Apparently, I was a white man. <laughs> Just walked in her house. She was throwing all her sacred tea away because I contaminated it. So Sam's in there trying to calm her down. And if she's throwing it away, he's grabbing it and putting it back on the shelf and whatever. But that was 
one of the most amazing life lessons I ever had. Apparently, this woman was born like in whenever, you know, but she remembered things about cowboys and Indians as it happened in real life. Not a stage show, not, you know, these were just remnants. No, this was the real deal, right? Cowboy and Indian stuff, man. Oorah. So, anyways, I don't remember why I told you that story. It doesn't matter. Let's move on with the show, right? So what do you want to talk about? Luke 18. Let's get moving into this show, all right? Luke 18. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him? Though he bear long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the, now this is why I did the rest of the scripture. This is why I put it in here. Nevertheless, hear this now. When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? And it's not just faith. It's the right faith. It's not just being a Christian, it's being a correct Christian. I don't mean no disrespect, but you got it wrong. Someplace along the line, somebody pushed you off the track. They shoved you off the <laughs> there we go, right? They're not shoving. <laughs> they shove you off the path. The narrow, straight and narrow. Onto the crooked but wide where everybody else is. You know, and you got to struggle to get back. But I'll tell you, you got to get back. Don't you remember what it was like when you were a first time you were a believer? How joyous and wonderful that was? Go all the way back to that time and then come forward. And when you get to that thing that caused you to go where you are now, as far as being a Christian goes, then you can all, then you say, wait a minute, hang on, and walk right out of where you are. You know, and when you get to those mountains in your life, maybe you'll be able to see more clearly, because we don't always see clearly as it happens, right? You know, you hear people's testimony all the time. I know it happens so fast, you know. So anyways, you'll be able to hopefully see more clearly the events of that moment. And guess what? If you ask nice, <laughs> if you ask a nice, there was a guy down in the corner store, guinea guy. If you ask nice, <laughs> so anyways, Maybe he'll reveal something to you. Possibly even. I'm just kind of playing around here. Of course he's going to. You know, the time he led you, the times he carried you, and the times he let you go in front to learn it. So anyways, you know, you got to go. You Man, you got come on back. Come on back. Don't go away. We like you. Well, maybe she don't. <laughs> There's always that in a church, ain't it? That's what I like about my church. There's no fancy dress. Uh-uh. I wear a T-shirt many a time. Many a time. Go to the collared shirts and so forth as the season starts to get chilly. But anyway, anyways, there's none of that kind of animosity stuff that goes on, with, especially with the women, right? Oh, she's got a better dress. Oh, look, she thinks she's so fancy. That's how gossip starts. That's why God particularly, in particular, and Paul, rage on women for that. Keep your flipping mouth shut. God don't want to hear what you have to say anyhow in this regard, you know. But it was a problem, and it's a problem now. 
nothing changes. Women are women just like men are still men. You know, we got our stupids, right? My grandson was so cool yesterday. We're in the car. My six-year-old grandson, we're in the car. And you know what I got to say again? It is so neat to have these conversations with him because before he got on the proper, he's autistic, before he got on the proper medication, which wasn't until just recently, so up until the six-year age, it was so hard to control him um, and to speak with him, to reason with him. Do you know why that's wrong? Nothing. I mean, man, that stare, you could see in them eyeballs, you'd see like a, a cobwebs in the empty skull. There was nothing. It's sad, very sad. But thank the Lord Jesus, he got a doctor that got him on the right medicine once he got officially diagnosed. And so the conversation thing happens freely. It's a lot of fun. So yesterday we're in the car, me, him, and the wife. And I said, because in response to what he brought up or said, I don't remember what it was. <laughs> and I said to him, well, Preston, had an old friend of mine was a boss, and he was my friend. And he used to, one day, in his southern accent, this pious Christian man kind of thing, very rough. He was rough and tough. He goes, and he had this deep voice. He go, we're talking about employees and not stepping up and whatever, and one in particular or two, you know, in particular. We talked about the company. He was a marketing director. Anyways, he says, well, you know what they say, you can't polish a fart. And he just stopped. And I was stunned, stunned. He was, to me, like character-wise, the typical Baptist guy that was in church, always wore a suit and tie, always had nice shiny shoes on. You know, not brand new. You know, probably the same suit every week. But it was clean, and he was crisp. That's how Mo Brooks was. And so when he said that, I was stunned. And then he kind of chuckled. He didn't laugh. He chuckled and went, you never thought you'd hear that coming out of my mouth, huh? <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Never talked about it again. Like, hey, Mo, you remember that time? He wasn't that kind of guy. But anyways, you know, getting back to where I was, I hope, um, the idea that we drift and we get lost is nothing new. Every one of them apostles in their walk with Jesus, three years' time, Peter... <laughs> Peter tripped and fell ultimately, right, when he denied him. But see, the Lord is so forgiving. He's so merciful. Don't even think to yourself that he doesn't want you back. I tell you right now, when a sinner becomes a child of God again and, you know, repents and all that, believe it or not, this is scriptural. Every single angel and everything in heaven sings and applauds and cheers for one. So imagine throughout the day how many are being saved. Man, they got to be praising and singing all day long and every day, 24 hours a day. Well, they're eternal now, so they don't seem that way to them, you know? And I believe that when a sinner such as you or I was one, prodigal son, hello, you know? 
it's funny that it wasn't until well i was still a young teenager too but i'll tell you something you know i'm gonna share something with you here um i didn't start sinning until after i became a christian and satan just put every little pleasure in front of me and i'm like yeah i'll take that too this is fun i was robbing and stealing to pay for it you know i was the leader of the pack man there was nobody messed with me i was such a tough guy i got in a african-american bar down in the city where no white men go and i was invited back so anyway you know it doesn't matter he knows it it's not like you're telling him something he doesn't know right so don't be afraid to say it i think like for me a lot of times and it's probably this way with you too you're so embarrassed you feel so ashamed at what you had done because you really know the Lord. You see, if you don't have those kinds of feelings when you go to God, something's wrong. You see? Because when you go approach the most holy as he sits on his throne, the creator of everything, including you, waits to hear you pines for you to return. And the millions, bazillion, however many angels and all, man, they're singing. They're, it's, oh, happy day. Boy, I hope they have Southern Gospel in heaven. I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm a, yeah, I'm a addict. <laughs> I lived in Florida. I didn't, I don't think I ever really met more than one Southern person, so to speak, in my whole life before I went to the Marines. Then they were like all over the place. So, you know, like Jethro Bodine, some of them. It was funny. Gomer Pyle types. We had this guy, Stevenson. He was about three guys down from me on my left. And we're in third phase. Man, we're like right on the edge of graduation, right? There shouldn't be no more stupid stuff. <laughs> we got that out of our system not long after first phase going into second phase. So now here we are at the end of third phase. And we're all standing in front of our racks. So there's a row down each side of the, the, the squad bay. And the drill instructor, we're, we're practicing our rifle drill because we have to go and compete in the uh, battalion competition. So there is no... <laughs> there's no potty break or anything when that's going on, right? You better either drop dead or puke your guts out or something else out the other side before they'll stop or give you any, you know, <laughs> respect. So anyway, he's doing his thing, you know, telling, you know, left shoulder, right, whatever. And this guy, Stevenson, like Gomer Pyle, he sounded, you know, he requests permission to go to the head, which for the civilian world means the bathroom. So <laughs> several times this uh, request comes up. Because every time he said it, the drill instructor is more and more emphatically and irritatedly telling him no. We all know how this works. When we're done, we are going to lock our rifles back up to our racks. Then we're going to go stand back at attention in front of our racks. And he'll give us like 15 seconds to do that. So you learn to move Ricky Tick Tabby, let me tell you, baby. Hey, you know, bolt the lightnings. I got nothing on a Marine with a drill structure <laughs> scorching them. So anyway, we turn around straight and stand by to make a head call. You acknowledge. 
boom, out the door we fly, right? Or to the back of the head we fly. Anyway, this guy just keeps it up. And I'm standing there going, how can this be at this time, you know, considering what I just told you? Then here comes, okay, push comes to shove. He says, if you don't let me, I'm just going to use the different word, wet his pants right there. The drill instructor did not say a word. Now, mind you again, at this time, he's been challenged several times. There's a time frame, a time limit on, you know, how much time he's got to work with us before we got to do the next thing, and this guy's holding it up. So he says, I'm just going to wet my pants. Nothing got said. So the drill instructor continues with the commands and whatever and any other instruction, whatever it was, and this guy turns around in the Gomer Pile drawl and says, there, I've done it, and I ain't never been so back ain't humiliated in my life. You know, when you're standing on line like that, there's no moving. You got your statue number one, right? I mean to tell you, listen to me, brothers and sisters and all the rest of you, I think that was the hardest time I ever had, not turning my head to look at something, you know, when you knew you shouldn't have, right? Oh, my gosh, I had to see it for myself, but we didn't. So the funniest part of the story is, as the I was the last guy on my side of the barracks, and there was nobody across from me. So just understand that as the drill instructor just barely gets past me. Now they, you know, you got to ask yourself when they, when you see what they go through, not, you know, being a drill instructor, but the stuff they see and the things they hear, it's got to take a really strong mind and composition you know, in character of a person, not to react, whatever that might be. So here we are, right? How do you not react to that? And as he passed me, I saw the back rear brim and front brim of his hat bobbing up and down like a seesaw. He was flicking lapping. He was having a jolly. And I caught it out of the corner of my eye. You learn how to do that real good. Peripheral vision, 2020, baby. <laughs> Anyway, he was laughing. So he, by the time he got back to where he was, you know, his place where he stands when he's doing the rifle command, whatever, he gets there, and, man, I'll tell you, he, it was done before he even turned around. Left shoulder, out, right, you know, like nothing happened. But he didn't start giving us commands. You know what he said? <laughs> he says, now... Who's going to tell me that wasn't funny? And I'm going to tell you that's a crocker. You know what? Go ahead and laugh. And we all, you know, kind of like, woohoo, what's this all about? And we laughed, like very briefly, barely a breath's worth. All right, back to it, you know, or whatever. And so that was that. But amazing. Why did I tell you that story? I don't know, because when I start, I know, and when I finish, I don't. It's my medicine, folks. I'm sorry about that. I apologize. And that's not an excuse. That's true. That's why sometimes I may talk like I got a really dry mouth. I got this other medicine that gives me daggone cotton mouth. Shoot, I didn't have cotton mouth like this when I used to smoke pot back in the day. What's up with that? Anyway, I got to get moving here. I got to get to this because you really got to hear this. It's very important. Jesus saying, will there be faith when I come back? Sometimes we need to see something. You know, Thomas was one of those, right? 
I might believe until I see them. And I'm going to put my hands in them nail-scarred, you know, wounds. If he doesn't have them for me to do that, I'm not believing. I mean, this guy was serious. This is serious, right? And so Jesus, you know, walked right in and went right to him. Here, put your fingers here, touch there, you know. It's me. And he bowed, man, he hit the floor like a rock. My Lord, my God. So anyway, is he going to find faith at all? You know, get down on your knees or bow your head. Do it. Do it right now. Let's pray. Father God, I have no doubt of your glory and your wonderfulness and your wisdom and the truth that comes from you. I have no doubts, Lord, whatsoever. So I ask you, Father, because you already know the sin I've committed, how awful it was, and how deadly sin is. I pray to you right now, Father God, in the name, in the only name by which men are saved, the name above all names, I pray in Jesus' name, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ the Messiah, Father, God, please, oh, have mercy on my soul. Forgive me, God, of my trans transgressions and sins. Forgive me my heart, my tongue, and my mind, Lord. Let me come home, Father. Let me be with you again in your courts. Let me hear your voice. Let me see your works in all the creation. And let me glorify your name once more. I pray this, Father God. I pray this with everything I am, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Thy will be done. Amen. Wow, that was something. Didn't expect that. I got to take a break. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so anyway, let's get moving here. No, I, I talked the whole time, and I haven't even, I just now said the opening scripture. I got like 20 scriptures in here. And because you guys wouldn't listen, <laughs> anyways, I wrote this a little while ago. It was just before I came on the show, and that's why I came on the show. You don't know this because you can't see anything, but I came on here pretty quick. I usually don't do Monday show until sometime Sunday. You know, I give the news events of the weekend time to develop if they're gonna. But to be honest with you, I am so ready to do this show. And this is, I tell you now, please understand, I am not a great man. I am no prophet. I am no anything. I follow the Lord Jesus Christ as his believer, as a disciple. I believe and adhere to the Holy King James Bible. For those of you who say you can't understand it, I'll be honest with you, the King James Bible was written on like a fifth grader's level. And once you take the time to figure out what these and thous and all so forth and so on that you see, once you take the time to figure it out, it's, I tell you, I, was, I, was, I thought it was a daunting task myself, but I did it. And good gracious me, I ripped through that Bible like it's, it's all English. In fact, I find myself many times saying the word in English, but I'm looking at it, you know, in the King James type. 
So anyway, we just got to remember that the words that these prophets spoke were not their own. They were not inspired by their egos or their prides or anything like that. In fact, those three characteristics right there, I'm sure they were short on. And that's one of the reasons God chose them. You can't get a haughty, mighty man to do God's work. And that's why God chooses the lowly man. They're so never, you know, put yourself down in regards to that. But either way, back to the show. I wrote this. And I started to write one little thing, and it became a section. So I'm going to read it to you. Knowing what you know, I hope and remember, I hope, about previous shows, this is what I have to say. The line between illusion and reality has been blurred. It's been stricken. The veil between good and evil has opened for the last time. We shall see what they saw eons ago. We shall see why they closed the door. This is the result what we're seeing, what we're witnessing is a result of the most dangerous of all psychic epidemics. You understand epidemic? For a real definition of the word epidemic, don't look at the COVID thing. Dig up some history, 1918, right after the First World War. I think it was upwards of at least 50 million people died from this flu. You got to see it. So anyways, that's an epidemic. What they're saying, or what I'm saying, a psychic epidemic. So an epidemic affects, you know, millions of people. It can, right? So, but this one's a psychic epidemic. All right? This one is dealing with the mind the way it thinks and feels and so forth and so on. Your character and who you are. So the, the thing that is the most dangerous of all psychic epidemics is what's called mass psychosis. If you don't remember anything else in the show, remember this: these early parts or late parts, whatever. Anyway. A mass psychosis is an epidemic of madness. And it occurs when a large portion of a society, listen now, loses touch with reality and descends into delusions. Seems like something out of like a fiction movie, right, or book. No, no, no. It's happening. That's what you're seeing. We are witnessing. We are those who can give testimony to the rise of totalitarianism in the 21st century. We are the witnesses. We are those who know the past and see the future and understand all of all pieces. Not of our own accord, not of my own accord. I've said it so many times. This is a gift that I was given by God. 
So can the stages ask ourselves, can the stages of a mass psychosis be reversed? It would take something really big. It would take like Job showing up in Washington, D.C. and giving him a message which <laughs> the whole kingdom, including the king and everybody and anybody, repented of their sin and God forgave them for it and allowed them to be because it was either this or that. And Job was sent to let them know. So that would be, I think, equivalent. But, you know, I think, I believe, by talking to I talk to people all the time, one-on-ones. I think, based on what I've heard people tell me and how I feel and think, that we can all feel that we're at a very pivotal, pivotal point. You can't help but to see and the fate of this world, of our world, is like right now on the edge, of, like you're on the edge of a knife. We're on a very slim fence, like a high tower or a high wire rack. And if we falter, the nightmare becomes deeper and more prevalent. I can honestly say that doing this show and the research I do and the things I, you know, because there's so many things that are put away in files or put away on, you know, my favorites folder or whatever. And I'm going way back to get all those, you know, to bring you up to date, to show you this is what was said, this is how it evolved, and this is where it is. I put a lot of energy into that that I don't think about when I'm doing it. Sometimes when I'm done with, like, researching the show or getting the show ready, I'm exhausted. I go take a nap. <laughs> I do. You know? But a lot of energy went into this one in particular because the thing is, is I got to do it because I, when I was done, it was like, whew, I'm white. But quite honestly, the reason is because this right here, and I'm going to run overtime, but I'm sorry, but I got I to gotta do this. This right here might be the most important message of our time. I believe that. If you want to talk to me about it, let's talk Mike one at gmail.com. Let's talk M-I-K-E, the number one at gmail.com. So I, you know, researching the show, over 300, over 300 were found dead in Kenya. Interesting there because I was in Kenya when I was in the Marines. After cult pastor encouraged his followers to starve themselves in order to meet Jesus. More than 300 bodies starve themselves. They think the number will actually go higher once they start doing more searching. So, according to the Christian Post, they're right around 303 dead and more, and more are being retrieved. But either way, this pastor, Paul McKenzie, who leads what is known as Good News International Church, and they established their residential community in the region. So, you know, just a heads up, I'm not going to get into it because I definitely don't have time, but churches that read like, you know, Good News International Church, 
I don't even go knocking on the door to see if they're open. No, just keep walking. So here we go. How many of you remember these two things? Just two things I'm going to do. There are a bazillion other examples. But these two happened in our lifetime. Oh, I forgot one. The Waco thing. So there's Waco, right? I forget what year it was, but there's Waco. Then it was Jonestown. Jonestown. Excuse me. I can't remember the jerk's name. But anyways, more than 900 of them. They drank cyanide Kool-Aid. Yeah. Imagine feeding that to the kids because they, there was 200 kids dead. Dead. I saw pictures of that. A lot of them were even, they had gunshot wounds in the head to make sure they were dead. That's pretty severe. Then you have Heaven's Gate, March 26, 1997. Deputies of the San Diego Sheriff's Department discovered the bodies of 39 active members of the group including that of Applewhite, don't remember his first name, but it, it, he was the leader, in a house in San Diego suburb of Rancho Santa Fe. They did a coordinated series of ritual suicides, all because they believed that the Hale-Bopp comet, when it, it was getting ready to, you know, we could see it, that it was actually a, 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 a front for a fleet of UFOs that were coming to take them away like the rapture kind of thing. That's their theology. Christian millennialism, new age and ufology. At least that's how they say in the UFO, you know, to UFO religion. That's exactly the type of thing and several other points or doctrines that I was involved with many years ago and the Lord delivered me from that. You see, Matthew 24, 5 says this, and Jesus said unto them, see, this is how or to be honest with you, this is the very scripture that I go to buku times when Satan would throw, um, what do you call it? Oh, jeez, false doctrine. I would go to this scripture in my mind. So Jesus said to him, see ye not, this is what I spoke about before, listen now. This will give you the, where it's at. I say unto you, there shall not be here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. So they came to him privately and says, one of these things going to be. All right? He gives them a list of di several different examples, wars, diseases, so forth and so on. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Kingdom against kingdom actually in its original would um, mean like what we see with Antifa and BLM in our country and maybe any other violent groups like that, but the world's full of them. So it's not, see, because nation against nation, there's that. That's like Russia, us, you know, whatever. But then you have kingdom against kingdom, which could mean, because you got to remember, this is the Middle East. So the jargon or the words are going to represent the Middle East. Kingdom against kingdom. You have little kingdoms spread out all over the Middle East. You know what I'm saying? So there's that. But anyways, he says and that these are only the beginning of sorrows. We haven't even like hit the tip of the iceberg yet. So I'm going to give you this right here, and then I'll end the show. Because this is what triggered me. No, I'm doing it now. I think I said this before, but I, something told me to do it again, and I'm going to do it again because of its significance. Book of Revelations predicts, predictions are occurring right now. That's my headline for this. 
that's why this is the most important show. This right here, this is the rock, right? Book of Revelation predictions occurring right now. Mm -hmm. And you can see it. Oh, there's a good one for you. You don't have to guess it. You can see it. The River Euphrates, which is through Iraq, it is a major artery. Has been since creation. It's mentioned in the book of uh, Genesis as being one of the rivers in Eden. So anyways, this is what the scripture says. Saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, loose the four angels which are bound in the river Euphrates. They've been bound. Bound doesn't mean kept safely or something. I wonder if they were rebels. I don't know the exact word for bound, so maybe in the Hebrew or something it's better. But that kind of tells me, <laughs> they had, you know, chains on. Anyway, the problem is everybody doesn't believe that. Everybody, you know, no matter what they see, I don't believe it. Dude, it's right there. The daggone thing is dry. You can walk over. Anyways, if you don't believe your Bibles personally, if you don't take it seriously, you're in a lot of trouble very soon. Very soon. Because a coalition that it just occurred, the Arabs and the Iranians. Now, the big deal there is, if I remember right, they're two different tribes. Well, they're obviously two different kingdoms. But I think they're of two different descendancies. There's the Shia and, and Sunni. And I think the Arabians, but it could be either way, are Shia and the Iranians are Sunni. Now, you might not think much of that, but that's, <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but that's some serious stuff. All right? I mean, Italians are kind of like that in a way. I worked in an authentic Italian uh, bakery and restaurant. And because I wasn't of their heritage or their tribe, whatever you want to call it, there was a little bit of trouble. So anyway, that being said, so this is what it says. And I'm telling you, it's happening right now. You go to your websites or whatever, you ask this question. Is the Euphrates River really drying up? Then you'll get it. But the thing we should ask is the same question, and then... It's fulfilling the prophecy. It goes on to say in Revelation 16. Now, the first one was Revelations 9, 9. This one's Revelation 16, 13 through 15. And it says this. And the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the river, great river, Euphrates. <gasps> there it is. And its water, listen now, pay attention. And its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Aha! China. I wish Trump could say it. China. My wife does a great impression of that. Anyways, China. So who brokered the deal, which means, yeah, well, they're the dealers. They're the ones, right? China, between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Sworn enemies against Israel. Uh-oh. Days are coming. The kings from the east going to march across that dried-up river called the Great Euphrates. This is my last scripture for today. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits, and he describes them like frogs. 
for they are demonic spirits. Now listen, before I go too far, what's the most, like, oh, you can't miss that thing about a frog? His eyes, right? His eyes, big. Maybe it's not so far-fetched we got the word frogs here. Because maybe he's describing the greys. Because you know, they got big eyes. And they are, according to the book of Enoch, the demonic spirits. They're the disembodied spirits from the Nephilim. And their curse was to only be able to exist here on earth. They can't leave this area. That's why there's all these things going on when it comes to UFOs. There's probably more of them than there are us. But anyway, they're demonic spirits, he says, performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on that great day of God Almighty, Armageddon. Now, interesting, a lot of people think that's up in the valley of Megiddo. But I learned recently, like last year or so, a year before maybe, when you know the word, the way it was written, so it's one of those deals, intentionally, originally, it's Armageddon. So what Armageddon represents, it's Ha Armageddon. What that represents is the gathering. So they're going to be gathering at a place that has, there is nothing else. That's it. That's the significance of it. It's the only thing they want is Jerusalem. All right? And then, yeah, of course, we'll slaughter a shitload of Israelis and whatever. Right? But anyways, this is happening today, this very moment. I've seen the pictures and stuff. This is no lie. This is the real deal. All right? And like I said earlier, this river has been there since the creation of the world. And why? Because God knew at the creation of the world that the kings of the east were going to come across the dry riverbed in a bazillion years or whatever, right? This happened right before our eyes. People, don't, don't stay blind. Don't do it. Oh, Lord God, no, please. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Don't be afraid. Come. Just as I am, right? I love that song. Every time that song comes on, if you played it 10 times in a row, 10 times in a row, I'd repent. <laughs> anyway, all right. I took long enough. I'm sorry, folks. Didn't mean to do that, but things just happen, and that's how it is. But I appreciate your patience and your kindness. I appreciate your correspondence. And, uh, you know, I just appreciate you because... I'm hoping that you are one of the people that's benefiting from the show. And hopefully, if you're one of those people who aren't saved yet, that this will be the time that you do it. God bless everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Goodbye.